0: Welcome to the Feminist Coffee Hour podcast. You can find us at FeministCoffeeHour.com, Feminist Coffee Hour on iTunes, at Pod on Twitter. You can find us on AskFM slash Hour, and you can send us an email at FeministCoffeeHour at gmail.com. So I'm Karen. And
1: I'm Elizabeth, and I'm really happy today that we have our guest with us, uh, Reverend Hope Johnson.
2: Hi, I'm glad to be here. This is so exciting for me, and I'm looking forward to chatting with both of you. And Reverend Hope is a minister on
1: Long Island, New York, and she's also a member of the Congregational Life Staff in the Central East Regional Group of the Unitarian Universalist Association. And um, full disclosure, I've known Hope since 2008, and she performed the wedding ceremony for my husband and I, so I'm very glad that Hope's here. And there's a lot of interesting projects that Hope's involved in that I think more people should know about which is one of the reasons I'm having her on this podcast. There are other UU podcasts that are explicitly about Unitarian Universalism, and I always think, why don't they have Reverend Hope on? And then I thought, (laughs) well, I have a
0: podcast, so I should have Reverend Hope on.
2: It's a joy to be here. Welcome, I'm so happy
0: to have you. I've heard so many lovely things about you. Thank you.
2: So, and I'm in my 13th year at the Congregation Garden City, Long Island, New York, which I'm really proud of, especially as a religious leader of color to be able to survive and to keep a a strong voice in Garden City, Nassau County, is a huge deal, so I'm very proud of the congregation I serve. They've done some amazing things, so glad to be here.
0: For our listeners who might not know, I think we kind of wanted to spend this episode, because it'll air around the date, Uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about the holiday of Juneteenth, and we were wondering if you could give us kind of some background on it.
2: Juneteenth is the oldest known celebration commemorating the ending of slavery in the United States and it goes back to 1865 on June 19th of that year that the Union soldiers led by Major General Gordon Granger landed at Galveston, Texas with news that the war had ended and that the enslaved were now free. Note, this was two and a half years after President Lincoln's emancipation proclamation that's the important thing to note so that's why we do celebrate juneteenth each year here in garden city celebrated by african americans initially and now celebrated by many to just to do something to counterbalance the injustice of that particular part of our shared history so when i got to garden city it was like why are we doing juneteenth I mean, Hope, why do we need to celebrate Juneteenth? We need to celebrate it because it is a way of honoring and celebrating freedom. Freedom for me means freedom for you for all. So we've been doing Juneteenth and we're about to have our 13th celebration of Juneteenth in Garden City on June 18th this year, the evening of June 18th. So yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful celebration. What happens at a Juneteenth celebration? We have talent. We have music. We we generally start off with a drumming circle so that we go back to the motherland, and we start off by drumming, have a drumming circle that everyone's invited to participate in. We then have a program of one kind or another. This year, the program is based on pilgrimage, where we follow the root of the Civil Rights Movement. We sing the songs. We go back in time, primarily to the 60s, and we call the voices of the veterans of the movement and oh my goodness there is wonderful wonderful food it's it's a real dinner feast not sandwiches it's real good food (laughs) from the south and so i encourage everyone to come to this wonderful event that my congregation hosts yeah so that that's part of what happens great music we have a song leader coming from detroit oh cool and uh, one of the things we're focusing on this year is there is, of course, the African-American experience in this day and age with the Black Lives Matter movement and the mattering of black lives. We, we speak about the importance of doing the work of dismantling racism, but recognizing that we cannot do this work. No one group can do it alone, and so we use the language of accomplice. And so this particular Juneteenth, I will have a wonderful accomplice with me, Matt Watroba who is a musician, fine musician based in Michigan, and he'll be coming down to share some of his experiences musically and through story. So that's part of what's happening.
0: That that sounds like a really fun celebration. I'd love to welcome you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd have to check my calendar for June 18th, but maybe I'll come out if I'm free. Yeah, sure. There's a, there's a
1: movement to make Juneteenth a national holiday, Hope, and I think we've talked about this. I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And I was just wondering, Hope, if over the years you've seen people become
2: more aware of it. Absolutely. Become more aware of, of its significance, not, again, specifically because of its own particularity in terms of history, but because of the symbolism of what it means for us as we move forward today. The other thing that Juneteenth has done for many of us that I see is found a way to link the oppressions together. So if you're struggling with whatever it is you're struggling with, you hear about Juneteenth, you're interested in it, and want to know who are some of the leaders, who are some of the leaders who are moving this forward. That helps me to support you in your struggle, your the work that you're doing. And together, we are just all so much stronger by working together. So it is a catalyst for change and transformation as well. I think that's a big plus that I have seen in in recent years. Yeah. And people no longer say, "Well, why are you doing Juneteenth, Hope? I mean, what's <laughs> the point? There's, you know, there's no one who looks like you in your congregation." Well, my whole congregation now, our congregation does Juneteenth because if one of us is oppressed, we're all oppressed, and it's a way to free all of us. So.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful sentiment, and mm-hmm. I, I fully agree.
1: Um, just as an American, to know that we stopped yeah. doing this horrible thing, yeah, that, that, that we ended slavery, is something to celebrate, I think.
2: Yeah. And now we have new manifestations of it. Um, mm-hmm. Just today, Elizabeth and I co-led a service this morning. It was called Just Mercy, and we talked about the prison industrial complex and... Mm-hmm. The disparity between who's being jailed and for what, but this is another entry place where people can get involved, mm-hmm. and 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 where the oppressions can once again, be linked, and we can do some dismantling together. So, it's um, this is how this is the only way to move forward as far as we can see. Well, thank you so much for for all the work that you're both doing.
0: I'm so happy to hear that you guys are kind of, using your leadership positions to lead people <laughs> Thank you. To these yeah.
2: beautiful endeavors and I just want to give a little plus to the beauty of shared leadership as a Unitarian Universalist leader I do know that no leader of a congregation can do it alone it is a shared ministry where we need each other I could not do what I do without Elizabeth and Elizabeth I hope needs me to help to push some of her things through. So there is this reality in, at least in this big community, that we need to work together. Otherwise it just will not happen. So Mm -hmm.
1: I think that's something about Unitarian Universalism. I've, I've written about this on my blog is, is the community and, you know, having spiritual leaders like Reverend Hope and other, and other ministers, um, to, to move forward and, and to achieve goals, whether that's if you're having problems personally, people support each other, or to work for these social justice goals that most UUs are very oriented towards.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh I'm really, I'm really touched by both of your humility in your discussion of the fantastic work that I think you're both doing, in Garden City especially. Thank uh, you.
1: Yeah, and I'll, I'll put up a link to that um, for people who are from other parts of the country or for the world who might not know about what we talk about when we talk about Garden City. Um, recently, there was a lawsuit about fair housing in Garden City. They were trying to build, I believe, an apartment complex, I think with some of the units affordable. I'm not sure even if all of them were going to be. And the village fought it. And the village tried to say that their zoning laws said something that they didn't say to keep people out specifically because they were afraid that that black people and that Latino people would move in. And this is something that if you are from Long Island, um, and you know, other parts of the country too, you know is something that's a real obstacle to growth and to, um, it being an affordable place to live and, um, Garden City lost and then they appealed and then they just lost again. So this is kind of the climate in which we're operating in and in which we're holding these Juneteenth celebrations. So I think it is is—it's um, an important place to, to celebrate that holiday. You okay, Karen?
0: Yeah. Okay. I, dropped I dropped an ice cube. It's a bit warm in my closet. Oh, okay. <laughs> I
1: didn't know if you, the cat came in. Karen has a cat. Oh, okay. Sometimes comes and shoes on the wires.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Most of, the tec- most of the technical difficulties on the show are my cat sitting on something or sitting on something... We're <laughs> making a mouse. <laughs> and it needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this time it's just me. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I know historically, I think uh, there's a history in Garden City of discriminatory housing, mm-hmm. uh, not just recently. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of all the more meaningful. Uh, have such a, a fantastic congregation centered around inclusivity
2: uh, and social justice in Garden City mm-hmm. yeah and I think if more persons look at the history of Long Island then they mm-hmm. will have a better understanding of what is going on and what we can do to turn the tide um, there there is always hope and I do believe that the tide can be turned but we need a good bit of education And um, so that's another thing that we try to do here at UCCN. And so I know also
0: um, that you are involved with uh, the Living Legacy Project. And could you describe for our listeners what that is?
2: Well, the Living Legacy Project takes people from all over the country, the world, um, on pilgrimage, following the root of the civil rights movement. So we pay a lot of attention to places like... Tennessee, um, Georgia, Mississippi. We believe that if you understand the history of the movement, then you can better understand what's going on today with the matter of Black Lives and so on. So we go back, and we still are blessed to have veterans of the movement who are alive and active and can speak with us. We go, for example, to the Sel- to to the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. We last year had a conference which was um, similar to the pilgrimage but it was a short conference where we commemorated the 50th anniversary of the crossing of that bridge and some 700 um, of us gathered together with a whole bunch of others just to take that walk, to understand one of the lessons is that everybody was in the movement. It wasn't just a black movement. It was not just a white movement. It was everybody was at the table. LGBTQ, before there were words to describe some of this stuff, everybody was there. It is a reminder that if we come together, we can really make a difference in this world. One of the highlights is taking people to the city of St. Jude. You might recall, well, first of all, the Selma March actually was three marches. They tried three different days, and they were successful on the third try. When they finally crossed the bridge into Selma, in spite of all of the opposition, the only people who would welcome us were at the city of St. Jude. So when all of those singers, Buffy's, all of those fabulous singers, Bob Bob Dylan, everybody went to the grounds there to welcome the weary marchers who had made it over the bridge en route to Montgomery. That is holy ground. That's a place we go to each time. It is holy ground, knowing all that happened. We've also lost some heroes there in the South. James Reeb, Unitarian Universalist minister, lost his life when he was with two other ministers and they were attacked. Because of the racism of the day, he could have been saved, but they wouldn't take a white minister who loved black people and helped to make him better, even though we all... No, doctors take the Hippocratic oath. Mm-hmm. So he ended up dying. Viola Luizo at the very end of the march, it, when she was in Montgomery, was helping to move voting rights workers back and forth. And she was killed. And we, we understand today that she was killed by a, an FBI informant. We still have a long way to go. We are close to the families of these people. Again, we're understanding our history so that we can understand the present and the future. And I would share with our listeners the concept of the Sankofa bird from West Africa. It's an Akan people. It is a bird that faces its body forward, but its head is turned back. And whether we're talking about Juneteenth or the pilgrimage, it is a way of understanding one's place and what one can do in the future by going back to the past. And that is called Sankofa. And I would say that every project that I'm involved in that relates to this is a for moment for me. And I hope our listeners will consider joining us on a pilgrimage sometime. It's it's transformational. So I hope that gives you a little flavor. It's it's wonderful, yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess that would be my next question. Um, if, if someone was, was interested in this, mm-hmm. but, they, but they weren't sure, I mean, should I go, does whoever it is, I guess, you know, we talk about this. Would someone like me be someone who goes on this trip?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's multi-generational. We do take young people over the summers, but it's a multi-generational thing. Transformation is possible for anyone of any age. Mm -hmm. And so you just be in touch. We have a website, www.uulivinglegacy.org. And we have actually two pilgrimages coming up, one in the fall. And then we have a short pilgrimage coming up in the spring of next year, 2017. So, yeah, we'd be happy to get you some information about that. And perhaps we can link you up mm-hmm. to that website. It's, 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 it's multi-everything. It's multi mm-hmm. Everybody is welcome to come. And guess what? We have the greatest music on our pilgrimages because we know that aside from prayer, It was the music of the movement that sustained people so that they could go through all of the difficulties they went through, whether in prison, whether on the marches, whatever. So each pilgrimage has a musical component where we sing together.
1: I know that last year at um, UU General Assembly you spoke from the stage about the role that the Living Legacy Pilgrimage had in the 50th anniversary Mm -hmm. of of crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma. Mm -hmm. And I'll link to that video um, on the in the show notes, but, you know, if some more time has passed. Is there anything else you want to add
2: in your reflections about the, the 50th anniversary of, of Selma? The 50th anniversary to me was just a moment in time that just reminds me of the importance of sticking with it, stick-to-itiveness against all odds. Even when you're tired, even though you think you've shared this story more than enough times, say it again because somebody new might hear it with new ears and a new spirit and move the work forward so we had for example last year a young woman from our congregation come with us to to that conference and cross that bridge and she is crystal clear that she has to bring her world with her here she is not graduated yet from high school and has made a commitment to make a difference because of that experience so yes Mm -hmm. and we try to we try to see if we can help people who, who need financial help to get there. So that's another thing we do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I haven't been on this trip, but I know several people who have, and they've said that it's it's very uplifting, and it's it's they found it like the endurance of the of the human spirit, and you know, an important story to know about American history, um, and and very spiritually fulfilling. Yeah, so, so that's something that I
2: would share. That's what several people have told me about. Well, that same endurance, Elizabeth, that you're speaking about, we need it now just as much as we needed it back then. Because in these trying times, it is so hard to maintain your resilience. So every now and then, I know we have to take a break and just chill. But we have to get back and let our resilience move us forward, even through the hard times of today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, keep on moving forward. Oh, yeah, there's
0: absolutely this kind of... Uh resonance of this historical movement today, especially Mm -hmm. with uh, the Black Lives Matter movement as you you brought up and all Mm -hmm. these kind of uh, systematic racial
2: inequalities that are still incredibly present and we're still so far. When we take people on pilgrimage, one of the names we lift up is Bayard Rustin and many people don't know Bayard Rustin who was the mastermind behind so many so many important important moments in, in, in time and so important for the success of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King on that big march on Washington. The reason most people don't know the name Bayard Rustin is because Baird was gay. And back in the day, it was, okay, it's, it's macho, macho, it's black power, it's all of this stuff, but we're not going to deal with the gay thing. So he was sort of in the background. Without him, there would have been no success. So one of the things that the Living Legacy Project does is links the oppressions together. You cannot go on a pilgrimage and not understand who Bayard Rustin was. We try to unpack some of the history and make it as real as we can and then we see that, you know what, everybody was there. We, we are all and we're all in this together, so.
0: Yeah, and you see kind of resonances of these kinds of exclusions in other movements as well kind of when we talk about Stonewall in the LGBT movement, uh, there's always some frustration about whose stories we tell and whose we don't and who we center and who was actually there, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I, I know like Marsha P. Johnson doesn't get discussed. She's right. a trans woman of color. And sometimes people get written out of history for intersections.
2: Absolutely. So we're all about the business of rewriting that history. Mm-hmm. And we just, as Unitarian Universes, had our first trans religious leader retreat and, and gathering. And it was in California. It was the most amazing gathering when, when you heard the pain. The, even in a movement as liberal as ours that was lifted up, but when you see the hope that we continue to have. And then I see what's happening with my Methodist siblings. And I think, oh my goodness. Do you want to talk a little bit about that in case people don't know? Um, well, just the just the way clergy in the LGBTQ committee I mean community are I think devalued and undervalued and not allowed to be who they are and not allowed to be affirmed for that. That's what I would say. Um but but even though saying that there are exceptions to every rule and so one of the things that we try to do is focus on what we can do together. And mm-hmm. so that's what Elizabeth and I and I are working on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something that came out of,
1: uh, I guess last year's GA, but I mean you have been talking about this, is um, how Unitarian Universalists can support the Black Lives Matter movement. And um, something that I have been reading about a lot online, and I have posted about this on the blog, and I think we talked about this on the show, actually in the first episode of the second episode, are um, UU congregations that put Black Lives Matter signs outside of their congregation. And I know someone in one of the congregations in Maryland who had their sign stolen, I believe, four or five times, and what they decided to do was to put it out every Friday night and stand vigil all night, so that they were there with the sign. And, um, I can put this up, uh, on a link in the blog post, but there was another church that I just saw that went through 13 different signs yep. and they just keep putting it, putting it out. And, the, um, was it the one in Chicago where they threw the red paint and it, it stained the brick that had been there for 200 years? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and some people will say, well, what is a sign going to do? But when you have that reaction to the sign, it,
2: to me, it means that that sign needs to be there. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree. It's a very difficult thing. I recommend that if you're going to get a sign, order at least at, at minimum three and have your reorder ready to go. It, I don't suggest putting up a sign without careful thought. There needs to be discussion. People have to be on board. But once you've made the commitment to put up a sign, it means something. Mm-hmm. And part of that commitment means if it's taken down, if it is defaced, we're going to put it back up. So it's a it's a learning process, and uh, you know each time I hear well hope, all lives matter. I, I know what that is, and all lives do matter, but black lives matter because all lives matter mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, we, we've had the conversation in our congregation as well, and thankfully, we were able to do something mm-hmm. yeah, hmm.
0: And it does seem to be truly transformative to, to affirm that black lives matter as yeah. often as it needs to be said because apparently some people are uncomfortable with it being said. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm.
1: And um, Hope, I just wanted to ask you about something you were talking about before about, um, this is kind of a more general question than necessarily with Unitarian Universalism. Um, but we try to talk about uh, inter- intersectionality on our podcast. Mm-hmm. And just with, with, with being a woman and being a woman of color in ministry, mm-hmm. you were talking about who people think a minister is or what a
2: minister looks like or should be. Is, is, uh, do you have any thoughts on that that you'd like to share? I live this every single day. I would hope you don't look like a minister. You don't sound like a minister. And my, my, my default is what does a minister look like? What does a religious professional look like? What do all of these things look like? And so, one of the things I've done, just by being me, is is reshaped people's perception of what a woman in religion can be and look like. Um, and then, who comments on a male minister? I mean, a, a man's hair, the way he dresses, and so on, and so forth. I get so much of that stuff. Oh, your earrings are too long. I mean. Did you listen to what I said? <laughs> no. So it's it's just a basic reframing of what it means to have a voice, to use it, to have a presence, and to use it, and to use it fearlessly. Even if my voice is soft, even if I'm not that angry fill-in-the-blank, I still have a place, and each of us has a place and a voice. So, yeah.
0: I really... Uh, I kind of want to take a moment just to acknowledge did somebody actually say something a complaint about your earrings
2: being too big oh yes oh my my mom is here with me today and um you know she thought that it was so interesting because as you spoke your earrings moved from side to side and back to front and she found that really interesting and I just I sort of couldn't believe my ears and then I thought, well, I don't think she heard the sermon. Hmm. So she did not get the memo. And that was her loss because she was busy looking at me with my hair and my earrings. Yes, it happens. Lots of things happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's just one small example.
0: Oh, like, it's not surprising, yeah. <laughs> but somehow still very disappointing. <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> indeed. That's
1: why we interview people on this podcast to get other, other points of view that, that we may not have. Um, that we think other people should hear about,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and, you know, to, to have all those, you know, other voices and stuff like that, so.
2: So since this is an audio podcast, right, mm-hmm. I just should say that I am a, a woman of color, I am from the Caribbean originally, I'm from Jamaica, lived all over the world, speak several languages, there goes the stereotypes out the window, people don't know what to do with me, and that's fine, because I have a place in this world, too, so. so. I just thought I'd give you a little bit of my background.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, we're so glad that you have the place you have and that you do the beautiful work that you do in that place. So I just want to thank you for that. Thank you. It's a joy. Thank you for taking your time
1: to be on our show. I'm excited. (laughs) Uh, Karen, did you have uh, some more
0: questions? So I guess I wanted to ask, where can people find you on the Internet? Should they look up the Living
2: Legacy pilgrimage? Oh, but the Living Legacy, I gave that. UUlivingLegacy.org is one place that you can find me and us and some of the work we're doing. Juneteenth does not have its own. You would go through Mm UUCCN, www.uuccn.org. The event is um, June 18th again at 5.30 p.m. in Garden City. And um, that's kind of where you'll find me most of the time. Are you on social media? I'm on Facebook, Hope Johnson. Yes, I am. I love making new friends. Okay.
1: Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Miss Pie P-I like the number pie.
0: And you can find me on Twitter at uh, Karen, U-H-K-A-R-E-N. So this has been the Feminist Coffee Hour podcast, tackling the political arubaros from the feminist outer boroughs of NYC. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening.
2: Bye. Thank you.
0: feminist coffee hour podcast theme song is making it hard by Bridget Ellsworth you can listen to her music at soundcloud.com Bridget Ellsworth and you can listen to her other songs there as well and if you like what you hear you can give her a like or even a follow